0: Hi friends, Felicia Masonheimer here, and I am so excited because we are doing an interview tonight with someone who I admire so much and who has had a great influence on my life as both a Christian personally and as a Christian leader. And so as we wait for him to come in, I wanted to introduce him a little bit to you, tell you a little bit about what we're going to be discussing. Now I will say this This is not Pastor Mike's favorite platform. He is a Facebook and YouTube guy. And so we are really lucky to snag him on Instagram because he really doesn't do Instagram. So I'm hoping that this all goes seamlessly. But if not you know where to go. I'll direct you. So Pastor Mike, Mike Winger is an associate pastor at Hosanna Christian Fellowship in Bellflower, California. He graduated from the school of ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in 2006. He is strongly committed to the careful and thoughtful study of the Bible with a view toward answering skeptics challenges with reason and scripture. He believes that God has called him to make disciples through teaching ministry and is driven by a great confidence in the sufficiency and truth of the Bible and the Christian worldview to not only inform us of the reality and truth of Jesus and the Bible, but to equip us to live all of life rightly and to worship God in truth. And so I'm so excited for him to join us today. So I've been following Pastor Mike for gosh, a couple years now and watched a lot of his YouTube videos. If you guys have not followed him on YouTube, I highly suggest that you head over there and subscribe. He has a video on almost every single topic. So picture ask anything Monday, but YouTube version, and you can just play it like a podcast and listen to him talk through these topics with just fantastic depth. So I'm really excited for you guys to be able to hear him talk about today's topic. So one of the projects that he has is on the Passion Translation, and he has been working on this for a long time and interviewing a variety of scholars on the topic. And so he also, yes, has been interviewed with Alyssa Childers, which is so, so awesome. And hopefully if we can get this working, we will be able to get him on here too. So I gave a little introduction um, of who you are and talked a little, touched on kind of what's to come and what you've been working on. But uh, I would love to just hear from you a little more about who you are and what you do at Bible Thinker.
1: Well, basically, look, I'm just a pastor in Southern California who's really passionate about thinking biblically about everything and And like a lot of Christians who love the word of God, I I have this like inexpressible appreciation for the scripture and how it can transform everything about our lives. And yet it's, it's, it remains like an untapped resource for a lot of believers. You know, it's just a book that, that they, they know the values there, but they aren't sure how to get it or know what it teaches about different issues and all that. So I just spend all my time studying and researching and reading so that I can try to present. Thorough biblical teaching, like taking people deeper, you know, a layer deeper. I do topical stuff as well as verse by verse teaching, and somewhere I'm somewhere in the middle between, oh, I've got to teach this awesome, beautiful, amazing thing that Scripture says, and then on the other side, what did I just see online? And then I'm going to refute that or deal with that (laughs) or just that and try to bring hopefully real biblical clarity that's not from like an angry place because a lot of times people don't respond until they're mad, and I want to try to do it. Because of a loyalty and a faithfulness to scripture, and not because I'm irritated. Although sometimes that's a challenge.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. And honestly, that is one of the big reasons that I really wanted to interview you because I think that your loyalty to scripture, but also your grace, really sets you apart from a lot of apologists. And I really appreciate that. And I know that here in that Every Woman a the Theologian community, that is something we talk about a lot that grace and truth or speaking the truth in love actually requires the love part. Yeah. And you do that
1: really well. Well, thank you so much. And I'll tell you what, that is not natural for me at all. I mean, it's entirely a work of the of the Lord because it's just been slowly moving more and more towards having a, a gracious perspective on things in my life. I, I started out like, like a lot of people, you know, like this is the facts and <laughs> you're being dumb. And like, <laughs> <laughs> my, which originally I suppose, but, uh, Thankfully, I wasn't on YouTube at the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Lord's grace in that area. Yes, that is so relatable to me and I know to so many people who are listening to this. So I want to jump right in because we've got a lot of questions for you and all of your study on these topics. But we want to talk about your passion project. But first, kind of leading up to that, we want to talk a little bit about the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR. This has kind of become a catchphrase that I've seen passed around, almost like an umbrella term that maybe people don't always know exactly what it means. And there seems to be some confusion about it. So would you be able to kind of describe it to us or explain what NAR is?
1: Yeah, and I'm going to share this. I just want to say I'm not like the expert on this. There's people who probably know more about it than I do, but I, I have spent a, a large amount of time, you know, trying to review and understand and then respond to some of the stuff that's coming from the people that are leading what is often called the NAR. So what I'll say is this. Probably the name itself, NAR, as like a sort of a catch term, really caught on because of a book written by Holly Pivic and Doug, Doug Guyvett. And they talked about this new apostolic reformation it is a real movement that's going on you know in the body of christ and i do consider these people my brothers and sisters i I think that there are some real problems and some questions that are going on here i do think though that nar may be a bit of a misnomer the name itself nar came from within this this larger group of sort of i would call more hyper charismatic you know like I, i believe in the gifts of spirit but this is more a step further than that and uh the name came from them from well one of the groups within C. Peter Wagner and this one guy, long story short, yeah. where people like this guy was like trying to identify with this like apostolic movement and gave it a name. That name, really only a certain number of people in that movement actually use that name. But now the people who are critical of the movement, they're all using that name and right? because they'll go, you're part of the NAR and they go, what's the NAR? <laughs> yeah. So let's just set aside the title NAR for just a second. And I want to say that here's what's legit there there is a group a movement they expect massive miracles there's like they they think we're we're moving into a new wave a new work of the holy spirit greater miracles than ever before and at the core of it is the leading and teaching of specific leaders that are apostles and prophets and that these are like very official very very high status leaders in this group so like bill johnson is one of them you know they're apostles, and he's an apostle in this group. At least that's the name they give. And they they believe in what's called the fivefold ministry. But again, a lot of people believe in that, but wouldn't take it to the place this group takes it. And long story short, I, I guess if I could summarize it like this, they're orchestrating a new way of doing church around their beliefs in extremely large numbers of miracles. Everybody prophesying, everybody doing healings, miraculous healings all the time. That sort of thing this is causing that group to just grow very rapidly because it's exciting, right? And they have like keys, spiritual keys that will unlock your church's spiritual new wave of the spirit kind of thing. And in the midst of it, there's a lot of issues and a lot of questions, a lot of problems. So I agree with a lot of the criticisms that are brought against the NAR. I just don't use the title very much because they don't. And I don't. As a divide, as they go, who are you talking about? I've never heard the term NAR. But if you if you say, yeah, signs and wonders, ap- apostolic visions, trances, and teleportation, and things like they go, oh, yeah, well, that's us, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I talk about spiritual gifts frequently here on my account. And and I am, like you, I consider myself a charismatic or continuationist regarding spiritual gifts. And I think what I've seen with the criticism of NAR, is this lumping in of anyone who is continuationist or anyone who is charismatic into this more extreme camp. Mm -hmm. So what would you say maybe are some of the differences between your standard run-of-the-mill continuationist or charismatic and the NAR? I think you kind of said some of them, but for people who maybe don't come from those traditions, what would be the biggest differences?
1: I think, I think I'd want people to recognize who are maybe not charismatic is that within charismatic views, there's this, this massive variety. And so you have, you have people like me who you might even can, you might think I'm a soft charismatic. If you're part of the hyper group, you're like, we're not, yeah. high- soft. you know, that's, yeah. that effective. but one of the things I would say is that I'm, I'm totally, if someone's like, Mike, I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm all ears. I'm listening. I want to know what they, what they have to share. I'm considering, is this from the Lord or not? I, I'm going to weigh it. I'm not just going to swallow it. Right. I'm going to evaluate it. But I think one of the big differences between, say, myself, and perhaps you, I don't know all your views on this stuff, and say the groups like Bill Johnson, is that they're trying to systematize the work of the spirit in a way that I think endorses, I hate to use this term, but I want to be clear. So it endorses fakery, it endorses faking prophecy and faking even healings. This doesn't mean that they're trying to, dece- it's, it's complicated. I don't think they're actually trying to deceive. I think the intentions are positive. But I think that in their view, they want they don't just want to be open to the work of the Spirit wherever, you know, as He wills. So I'm um, hey, if I go 30 years with no prophecies, fine, as the as the Lord wills. If if it happens every day, fine, as the Lord wills. But they want it to happen every day, all the time, everywhere. And because of this, they're trying to make it sort of a, a systematic thing. Um, for instance, uh, in the trainings that they'll give in that Bethel and this group gives to people, they'll they'll, they'll they've said with their own lips that they'll line two people up. Uh, two sets of people and we'll have people on one side of the line identify a person on the other side okay so you have a partner and each of you gives a prophecy to the other person Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Give one like this is a recipe for fake prophecy right like prophecy never comes full of man (laughs) i don't just do it because you have i mean i don't initiate anything if the lord gives me something it's at his initiation so then they, they, they encourage people to give that, and then they go on to say, now, if you got it wrong, hey, applaud, good for you, at least you're moving in the right direction. But that's moving in the wrong direction. Even a charismatic, a lot of charismatics would say, that's the wrong direction, that's not the right direction. You're encouraging people to be okay with proclaiming things in God's name that may not be from God. And then when you do this like, church-wide, you create a whole other culture that um, is very problematic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a perfect example, because I think it's so easy, especially if you aren't familiar with charismatic churches or their theology. I think just the idea of prophecy in general is probably really hard (laughs) to understand or understand where they come, where we arrive at that biblically, that understanding um, or how it can be walked out biblically. But then to see this very extreme version be the most public version, I think it can tend to create so much confusion about spiritual gifts in general and how how soft charismatics. <laughs> will go with that.
1: I um, did just b- that.
0: believe and live.
1: <laughs> Nobody else uses that phrase. I just, <laughs> A new I,
0: label. Yeah.
1: when I when I look into these groups and these things, and I think this is so different than what I've experienced in my past where perhaps someone comes to me and they're like you know i think the lord's really leading me to share this with you and they share it with me and there's it's not at all like the thing that i'm seeing turned into like a mechanized formalized thing in that movement and it it does as i would as i watch like look at some of the, the prophets that have been speaking in 2020 trying to predict all the stuff that's going to happen and there's it's It's great. The track record says great. We don't have to listen to pretty much any of you guys right now, but it it makes me want to become a cessationist, just seeing how outrageous some of this stuff is, but I don't want to respond to the idea of prophecy the way I respond to the abuse of it. And that's all, right? I just, I want to be open to what God would do. I don't think there's any biblical reason to say that God won't speak and give you a word of wisdom or knowledge or, or something like that. I don't see any scriptural justification for that.
0: And, you know, that brings up a good point that, and we say this a lot here, um, reactionary theology is not sound theology. If you're building your views based on a reaction to somebody else without checking it against scripture, you're going to just go to another extreme. And now I did want to add one thing. You were just on an interview with multiple people talking about the prophecies in 2020. And I have shared that to my Facebook page for those of you who want to watch that interview. Pastor Mike and also Dr. Brown, who I also have recommended, both were interviewed on that. Um, And so you can hear some of your thoughts on those 2020 prophecies. But since we're getting to about halfway through the interview, I want to shift into a discussion of the passion. Because I know that this is something you're very passionate about. Had to throw that in there. My husband loves puns, so I get points. Good (laughs) <laughs> let's talk about the project that you're working on regarding the passion translation. What is that all about?
1: Yeah. So the, the passion translation here, I got, actually I have multiple copies of it at this point, but here's one of them, the passion translation. This is the new one that's just came out. It's like the special Bethel edition with a forward by Bill Johnson on it. And he's, he's endorsing this book quite a lot. Um, so this is a translation that in short, it gives It gives a translation that's specifically designed to support the movement that we're discussing, right? This apostolic, hyper-charismatic movement. This translation's meant to prop that up. It does alter the Bible in in, uh, countless places, Uh, not always heresy, but alterations. And I had my eyebrows go up when I first started studying it, and I made a few videos responding to it, but I realized that what I was doing was insufficient because this thing's selling millions and millions of copies so I decided to make it a larger project where I hired a number of very reputable, very renowned scholars to review the Passion Translation. And then I'm doing interviews with them and I have them write papers. And all that's available totally free so that we can just really publicize what's going on with this thing. Some of the issues are kind of complicated when it comes to Bible translation. And average people just kind of go, I'm not really sure what this is about. I don't have like the background info to understand. So those interviews are really taking people deep into understanding. The very major problems um, with the Passion Translation and its author.
0: Well, we really appreciate what you're doing there. What about the author? Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight into it's Brian Simmons, correct? Yep, that's um, right. Into, like, I know maybe you don't want to spend too much time on that, but where he comes from or what inspired his writing of the Passion?
1: you know in one circle it'll look like he's just he's just a bible translator who's really investing all his time and energy in this stuff when he's in some circles he talks like that but when he's in more charismatic circles he's a little more open and so i've been putting together the footage of all his claims but basically he says i've was called by god jesus breathed on me and gave me the spirit of revelation and that i am empowered to create this translation God has given me special revelations that nobody has known before that other translations don't have. Sometimes he puts those in the translation. A lot of times he puts them in the footnotes. But in the end, we find out that there's a few problems. One is he doesn't actually have the credentials to do a translation. He doesn't have any sort of degree from a credible institution related to biblical languages. And there's a variety of languages, right? It's not just Greek. It's also Hebrew, Old and New Testament, historical contexts that span millennia. It takes a lot of work to do a translation. No one person is really up to the job. And he's making some very outrageous claims about the the Greek, about supposed Aramaic. He says he's translating from the Aramaic and that the the New Testament was originally written in Aramaic. And these are just demonstrably false claims. And find words in the translation that don't come from Greek. And he goes, oh, well, that's from the Aramaic. And the scholars who are reviewing it go, there's no Aramaic. What's he talking about? You know, because it's just pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yeah, so there's a, there's a short version for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I watched an interview with him where he was talking about how he had received from the spirit of Revelation, from an angel, actually, an extra, the 23rd chapter of John or an extra chapter of John as well that, that was from the library of heaven. And it, it's just, I think so many people don't know who he is or, or any of this background, they just, someone in the comments said that TPT is listed as one of the translations in the Bible app. So someone could just find it and read it and think that it's just like any other, but the language, and I think it was one of your videos where you pointed this out, the language it's very distinctly reflective of that NAR type theology, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So like when I talk about them systematizing things, an example of this is, to suggest that you need to, like, go from from different levels of spirituality, and then they try to, like, define these levels, levels of glory, that kind of thing. One of the things they'll say is you have to be, like, activated in your gifts. Your gifts have to be activated, and and they can activate you with their special teachings or by reading their books or by reading this Passion Translation. Well, this idea of being activated spiritually is not in the Bible, but it's in the Passion Translation. So in in, uh, Romans Chapter uh, 12, where it talks about prophesying according to your faith, he adds the word activate, you know, he prophesies you have to be activated. And so then he sells courses and he gives his translation out like this is going to activate you. And so do you see this is, this is taking the extra biblical system, false systemization of questionable prophetic methods and putting it into scripture. So this is to me a huge, huge deal. It's, it's a real problem. And um, that's why we're doing this, this whole project. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I love that. So can you tell us like some of the scholars that you're interviewing or, you know, what they're talking about?
1: Yeah, I'm so excited because I actually got, I mean, to use the weird phrase, big name scholars to do this. So like Dr. Craig Blomberg, Dr. Douglas Moo. I mean, like, for instance, if you say, if you go to any, you know, book of Romans, you know, commentary, you're going to see Douglas Moo's is, is in there, yep. right? Because he's just, he's like the man when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So he reviews Brian Simmons and it just went live this morning on my YouTube channel. He reviews the, the book of Romans there and and he just says like this is bad. This is bad. Like you shouldn't use this translation. It's in in, in his terms, like, scholars the way they talk, right? He goes, it's an insufficient guide to the word of God. <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Nice way of saying,
0: don't
1: do it. <laughs> Trimper Longman, who was worked on the Song of Solomon for the New Living translation, which is a, which is a great translation, he worked on the Song of Solomon for that. He says that Brian Simmons has so messed up the translation of the Song of Solomon that he's actually changed the genre of the book. Like, the whole genre is different now. And he's turned it into allegory, what was originally not allegory. It's, poet, it's poetic, but it's not allegory. Um, he's added tons to the text. Like, if you just go to the Song of Solomon, read it in any translation, then read it in The Passion, you will find it's a lot longer in The Passion. But it also adds and takes away lots of words. Because it's just not faithful to what the scripture actually says. So every scholar has agreed that this is, not only is it not a good translation, they've all agreed. I've asked them this question. It's not even a translation. Like it's, it, it's just improper to call it a translation. That's misleading. And so even the name of the thing, the passion translation is not accurate. It's not true. This is, these are pretty extreme things. Um, yeah, those are a couple of examples. <laughs> There's, I have to. Reviews are up, and I've got quotes from all these scholars. Um, Dr. Craig Blomberg said that the Passion Translation needs a Surgeon General's warning because of its potential hazards. Oh,
0: oh boy. Uh,
1: yeah. A scholar who likes paraphrases and would normally be happy to see them, uh, but not this one because it's it's got issues.
0: Yeah. Well, that brings up uh, another question. Then what would you say are some of the differences between the Passion and the Message? Or why would the Message be more
1: safe to read no surgeon general's warning <laughs> so this is the, and this is where i'm i'm actually hearing the scholars they go well the message isn't so bad and i'm like really i don't really like the message very much personally but i realized they have these two categories for translations they have like here's your translation it's accurate it's like this is pretty much what the text is saying the original then we're going to call this other group paraphrase and paraphrases we consider almost like a translation with commentary right and and if, if you acknowledge that then you can look at the message as translation with commentary then it doesn't feel as bad because you don't think it's you're really reading the plain text and so if you get it in that category the message is acceptable in that category the thing scholars will say is that the the passion translation is not even acceptable in that category because it adds so many ideas that are foreign to the text and eugene peterson the the guy who did the message actually did put it through some rigorous theological vetting before they published it. And, you know, he doesn't, He's said, you know, I don't want people using the message as their, as their Bible. Like this is just your Bible. This is like an extra thing. I don't want you teaching from the pulpit with it. He said that as well. Whereas Brian Simmons, he says it to translation, not a paraphrase. That's not true. That's basically a lie. Then he says that you can use it as your primary study Bible. That's not true. And the scholars say, not only is that not true, it's not even sufficient really as a paraphrase. Uh, because it adds too many, um, it was it doc- Dr. Daryl Bach, he says, there's more eh than good.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I love how the scholars like are so gentle in how they're saying it, but they're just so honest. Like this, this is concerning. Like if the Bible is the authority on which we base our lives, our theology, it is so important that it be accurate to those original languages as best we can we're so grateful that you're doing this project and i can't wait for everyone to head over and listen in i think all of us have been at a women's conference where we were told you are a beautiful daughter of the most high king and it's true but it's not the whole truth the beauty of being god's daughter has some backstory and it's left out in a lot of messages preached to women So if you're tired of hearing the watered down Christian teaching and you're hungry for a deeper spiritual life, I have something for you. It's my brand new book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul Deep Strength in a Skin Deep World. Stop Calling Me Beautiful is a book about going deeper with God. I'm going to talk about pursuing the truths of who God is and who we are in relationship to him, how to study scripture, how legalism, shallow theology, and false teaching keep us from living boldly as a woman of the word. I'm so excited to put this book in your hands. You can grab your copy on Amazon or for more information, head to my website, feliciamasonheimer.com and click the book tab. One last question, and this can maybe, you know, spark a few more but in light of what we know about the passion in light of what we know about some of the unhealthy aspects of nar what would you how would you encourage christians today who are trying to discern through this stuff because if you go especially on instagram but probably on facebook anywhere else there's a lot of stuff coming from certain corners of christianity that is just like the NAR is new age and it's evil and everybody involved with it is. And if you have a friend who's attending one of these churches, they're literally unsaved, maybe demon possessed. So if you have a friend then who is reading the Passion without knowing this stuff, or maybe going to Bethel, it can be really hard to understand how to navigate this. So do you have any wisdom to share on that topic?
1: Yeah. um, Let me put it this way. We're, and I'm afraid I'm going to, I might be controversially political for just a second to make a point. Um, we are in the midst of experiencing the results of a strong divide in our, in our country between two different political sides. And they're both so entrenched that they only see the problems on the other side and they don't see their own issues. That, that would be my perspective. And this is causing them to, to sin against one another and to not care. And I think that this can happen in the church as well. I think that when we, when we go, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna respond to the worst elements of this hyper charismatic stuff. Um, Then we're not gonna be reflective about how we're treating each other with Christian charity or understanding things carefully and thoughtfully. So my basic thought is let's not divide so harshly. Uh, Both camps will look at the other at some point and be like, you're blaspheming the spirit because you're attributing, you know, you're you're attributing these wonderful prophecies to to Satan, and so you're calling the works of the spirit satanic. So then. So the, um, the charismatics will say the cessationists are blaspheming the spirit or the vice versa. The cessationists will say, well, you're blaspheming the spirit because you're proclaiming things from the spirit that aren't. And yeah. I just say, um, A, I don't think that's what blaspheming the spirit means anyways. But, but B, this is going too far and it's painting with too broad a brush. I, I personally see believers in both sides. And I, and I, when I look at Bethel, I see a church full of a lot of sincere people and I see a, a group, the NAR people who are involved in whether you call it NAR or not. I see a lot of very sincere um, Christians who are just being mis- misled in some cases on the nature of prophecy and how accurate it's supposed to be and how it's like the systematizing of it is, is wrong. I just think we need to be treating each other like we're Christians and then we can charitably call each other towards better things. And it's one thing to recognize that a particular book or a particular teacher in a group is is heretical or is in- incorporating new age stuff like the physics of heaven is a book that comes from uh, the Bethel circle. that's just wickedly messed up i mean it just is that doesn't mean everybody in that circle is right it's not like you find the worst thing in that circle and then you paint the whole circle with it that's what i want to say let's not do that because if you think of your own journey as a christian you you can you can realize that you you didn't always fit perfectly into the circle you were even part of so you know you're your own person and i just want to treat each other like that i think that um we, we just have to have uh, grace and honesty. And yeah. and I try to inhabit that middle ground as best I can. I, I get criticized on both sides for being too harsh and not harsh enough. Yeah. And maybe that's, a, maybe that means I'm doing the right thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because I often hear from people saying that, Oh yeah, well maybe they're sincere, but they're off base. And so, you know, they're off base and that's just facts. But I think recognizing that there are sincere people who are misled and need to be redirected back to the truth or, you know, back to a more grounded understanding on some of these things that it's the grace and compassion for their sincerity that helps bring them to that understanding. Um, and, I, and if you disagree with any of this, you know, feel free uh, yeah. to speak up, but, and also how many times do we see very insincere Baptists or presbyterians or you know reformed and calvinist brothers and sisters who are practicing things that are also unbiblical and i think the ver- the visibility of the charismatic church and just the sheer sensationalism of it at times puts a target on it and it's really easy to find fault with every single piece of that especially if you're not familiar with a healthy version of it and so i appreciate that you know, you're pointing out there are brothers and sisters in these churches. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the charismatic slash Pentecostal church is one of the biggest traditions worldwide at this point. And I so
1: understand correctly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So to to completely reject that any of those people are believers is is definitely, like you said, painting with a really broad brush. So
1: Yeah, and, and doing so without biblical warrant. I mean, if somebody's preaching a false gospel I'm going to call that out. If they're if they're misusing the gifts, then I look at, say, First Corinthians, and I go, "Here's a group misusing the gifts." That didn't mean they weren't saved. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, you're all you're all not saved now." And so, you know, when I look into these different things, I, I want to be honest first about the gospel. Where's the gospel in here? What is what is their beliefs about the, who Jesus is and what He's done for us and how we receive that? And if that theology seems to be intact, then I'm going to be treating them as brothers. And maybe brothers, in error, maybe brothers and sisters who have issues, but but brothers and sisters nonetheless. Like I'm crossing a big line when I say that whole group of people are unsaved because I see this, this, and that symptom in them, and especially when those symptoms aren't actually the gospel. Because right? I think I just think Christians can be in a lot of error and still be Christians. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. yeah, and so fortunately, those of you who are listening on the podcast and here. Pastor Mike has a ton of resources breaking down Bethel Theology. You've done a a whole thing on Bill Johnson. You've done The Passion, and now it's even more resources with The Passion, and so much more. He has so many videos on YouTube and then on his website. So do you want to tell us a little bit of where we can find you, how everyone can follow you and keep up with your work?
1: Yeah, I'll just mention two ways. Uh, one would be, I mean, primarily my primary platform is YouTube. And so you can just look up my name, Mike Winger, W-I-N-G-E-R on YouTube, and you'll find me there. I put up usually two videos a week, sometimes more. I'm actually doing a series, a whole bunch of videos coming late January, early February. I'm going to put one up a day, little short clips dealing with progressive Christianity, something I did with elders who you mentioned earlier. And, um, and that's coming out soon. But also you can go to BibleThinker.org. Now, Granted, my website is not that great, primarily because I like built it myself and I have no idea what I'm doing, but we're trying to improve it. So in the future, maybe one day this year, hopefully, um, it'll be a much better, more accessible website. But, uh, but one of the things about this ministry is it's, it's, just, it's extremely low budget. I mean, I'm just, I'm just producing content and putting it out as far and wide as I can for free. And it being low budget means that I can do this. It's, it's been great.
0: That's awesome. Well, we are so grateful that you made time to join us here and so thankful for the work that you're doing. This is Pastor Mike Winger of BibleThinker.org. He is on YouTube also, and I hope that you guys will give him a follow and subscribe to learn from him and his most recent project. Thank you so much, Pastor Mike. And we will be putting this interview on my podcast as well, and I'll send it to you after the fact. So Thanks for taking the time out for us this
1: evening. Yeah, Thank you for having me.
0: I hope you have a wonderful night and thank you everyone who joined us. We are so grateful that you listened in. This will be saved on my profile and also to the podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Verity. You can connect with fellow listeners by following me on Instagram at Felicia Masonheimer or on our Facebook page by the same name. Also visit FeliciaMasonheimer.com for links to each episode and the show notes.